You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike from the Fin Fans Podcast. Uh, today I have uh, Jim Johnson with me. Hello all. And I have Lewis Ergone with me. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Whatever Whenever pertains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, uh, Lou and I have known each other a real long time, and uh, I look forward to his contributions. Lou, why don't you tell a little bit about uh, yourself and what got you into the Dolphins and uh, how you got here? Well, I grew up in upstate New York, and um, most of the people around were Giants and Jet fans. So became a situation where being a Dolphin fan was a little rough growing up. I moved down to Florida in 1979 and um, became just a, a, a bigger fan than what I was growing up. Um, you know, when you, when you turn on a TV at a young age and you're watching uh, guys like Larry Zonker and Mercury Morris, Paul Warfield, you know, you almost have to fall in love with a team like that. And that's basically what happened to me at a young age. Uh, when I moved down here, uh, we kind of went through, you know, a change. You know, we still had Greasy, but we lost most of the star power. But, um, you know, you follow guys like Benny Malone and, um, you know, and then Strock and Woodley and all those guys. And uh, once we started uh, going to games – you know, you just fall in love with them even more. So it becomes a, a bigger, bigger, you know, love affair with a team that, you know, you grew up watching when they're right in your backyard, you know, you become even a bigger fan. So that's, uh, that's basically a, a brief history. All right. So Lou, you, uh, spent some time with a few of the, uh, current and former players, uh, this past weekend. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but yep. first, I want to throw it to Jim. Uh, Jim, you've been studying some mock drafts. What have you learned? Ha, that's comical. I've learned that nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been looking at dozens of mocks. Some of them are a few weeks old. Some of them are just the last couple days. And they're all over the place. Uh, some, you know, some of them got us picking quarterbacks. Some of us got us picking receivers, you know, uh, it's all over the place. But the main thing when, when I look at a draft is, you know, who's on the board? We pick 13th. Uh, so, you know, the, the top talent that is there, you know, from, say, the first eight picks in the draft. Uh, you know, you look at the list of the highest rated guys coming out in the draft. You've got, you know, guys like Nick Boza and Josh Allen and Montez Sweat. Uh, Ed Oliver, Quinnen Williams, uh, Clellan Farrell, and then Kyler Murray is the first quarterback. He's number seven on this particular list. Uh, Greedy Williams, cornerback at LSU, is eight. Uh, you got an offensive tackle, Jawan Taylor, it's coming in ninth. You know, and then another quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, a linebacker, Devin White, and then another tackle, Jonah Williams cornerback Byron Murphy and then uh, another uh, wide receiver DK Metcalf and then the list goes on and on uh, but you know the guys that they've got picking us we pick 13th uh, I'm going to run down a list of 
most of the guys that they've mocked to us at number 13. Can't wait. Yeah, this is like, this is like all over the place. Uh, You know, we've had two guys that picked uh, that DK Metcalf, a wide receiver. Uh, We've got a couple that's got us picking uh, Christian Wilkins, a defensive tackle. Uh, And then we've got several that got us picking quarterbacks, either Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke. You know, there is some scuttlebutt about we like Drew Locke, but yeah, I just don't see us going quarterback this this year. I've seen a few mocks that got Ed Oliver sliding down to us, and one that says Montez Sweat is going to fall to us. And then there was both of the offensive tackles have been mocked to us, Juwan Taylor and Jonah Williams. Uh, and then there was another, another one with Greedy Williams, the cornerback, uh, going to us at 13. And then, you know, you start talking trades and it gets even more messy. But the, this whole thing is the draft is always a bunch of smoke screens and teams, teams want to put as much smoke out there as possible so nobody knows what's going on. And boy, I'll tell you, I can't, I can't get any average of what people think we're going to pick in this draft. And uh, boy, there's a reason for that. You need help everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, to me, to me, you got to pick your guys who you like the best and go with best player available at 13. Agreed. Or, or trade that son of a gun down and add a pick somewhere else because uh, there's going to be some offensive linemen and some defensive linemen that might be it towards the end of the uh, first round. So, you know, there's a good possibility there. I like that big man, Dexter Lawrence, if we were to do a trade down. So, uh, you know, we could go any way. Uh, There's so many places we need help on this team. Uh, Basically, you just try to get the best talent you can get without reaching or overspending. So, (laughs) it's a crapshoot. Yeah, I've got a list of six guys that that I had targeted, and and a couple of these I did a month ago, and some of them I just did recently. And uh, uh, the guys that I have that I would love to see them get, and and that's not to say they'll take any of them, but uh, Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle, I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, Montez Sweat, the defensive end. Uh, Grady Williams, the cornerback. Uh, Jawan Taylor, uh, right tackle. Uh, Byron Murphy, cornerback, and, and Jonah Williams. And, and Jonah, I think, would be a nice pick because you can put him in at guard or right tackle. Yeah, he's even projected as a potential center as well. Uh, he's he's very versatile. They say he's got shorter arms than they'd like to see for left tackle, but <laughs> he made a quote. He told a reporter, he says, well, you're, if your arms were longer, you could re- reach the keyboard better, but that doesn't make you a, a – that doesn't affect your writing skills, so – <laughs> that's a pretty good line yeah yeah i, I, I thought I like that was good already. yeah he's pretty sharp i like it so uh and he's a good locker room fit too he's he's been a leader and uh, uh he's in one of the projected mocks and i did do some studying up on him he's a good all-around team guy so that's and that's but, a, you know that's the a, thing is you don't know where they're gonna go i mean you, you would think offensive or defensive line just basically on everything that's coming out of their mouths uh, you would think that's going to be a focus, but I, I've always been of the belief that you don't necessarily need to take an offensive lineman in the first round to get a good one. Uh, our problem has been identifying the good ones. Uh, we have screwed up time and again. 
but I don't think you have to. So I, I kind of think uh, logically that you're probably talking about a defensive player uh, in the first round. And, and with Flores being a defensive coach, that even makes more sense. It does. There's no question. I mean, you know, like, like Jim said earlier, you know, in regard to reaching for a player at that 13th slot, I mean, you have an opportunity to get a top-notch player. And to me, it doesn't matter what position it comes at. I mean, you know, if, if you've got the best receiver in the draft sitting on the board right there, you know, you almost have to, you know, consider doing that. You know, you can go in any direction with this team. I mean, there's, like you said, Mike, there's so many needs. Uh, you know, there's so many different directions they can go in. And again, like Jim said, I mean, I think the best available player that's on the board at a position that you need him at, you know, I don't think running backs, you know, a need, but I mean, God, just about anywhere else you go on this team, if that best available player, you know, the best available player at that position is on the board at that point, you almost got to go that route. Yeah, I would say safety and running back are probably positions we're okay at uh, right Right. now, Uh, assuming Mm -hmm. they keep Jones and they keep uh, McDonald. We don't know that that's going to happen, but assuming that's the case, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say we're okay at that position, at those positions. Now, are there any other positions you guys feel we're okay at that we really wouldn't gamble a first-round pick on? Linebacker, I mean, because we've invested – and McMillan. Right. And, and Baker. And Baker. I mean, you know, it's a situation where, you know, do you, I mean, yes, we can, you know, maybe go that route, you know, as far as filling that third linebacker position because you got guys like Kiko Alonso on the team right now. And, uh, Ooh. You, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know my thoughts on him, Mike. So, same as mine. And they, it sounds they've like, heard it. <laughs> sounds like Jim is on the same He's page board, with us yeah. Yeah. in regard to him. Um, you know, I will tell you, if Flores was being truthful today, he does not share our opinion. In regard to Kiko? Yep. Wow. That's interesting. Well, yeah, maybe well, they'll – go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, Jim. Well, well, Gase was defending Tannehill too, so I don't think I can believe what coaches tell me. <laughs> no, they lie. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I mean, you know, watch watching Kiko over the last few years – um, you know, you know what you're getting out of him. I mean, he's a high energy guy, but, um, you know, he just over pursues, you know, he takes himself out of plays over and over again. I mean, if we see it, you know, I don't know what the coaches are watching that we don't see on a week to week basis, but, you know, I mean, maybe they'll use him in a way that, you know, that he'll be, uh, you know, a positive to the team. You know, I don't see him as a positive uh, over the last few years, I mean, you know, the statistics the statistics show that, um, you know, worst defense in, in franchise history. I mean, you know, he's he's part of that defense. So, you know, they, they, they have to make changes. And I think, you know, he's one of the guys that, you know, he's got to be one of the first guys out, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we all share it. Uh... The other thing to consider, you know, talking about linebackers in this draft, there isn't a lot of of stud linebackers unless you're talking one of the you know the outside edge edge backers if we switch to a a three four uh Mm -hmm. there's guys like that but if we're going to stay four three there isn't a lot of real stud linebackers coming out whereas there's a lot of d-line guys uh or those edge guys for a three four so 
you know, I feel it's going to be that outside edge guy that, you know, we're going to have to have because all we have is Charles Harris right now. Uh, we're losing Wake, so, you know, it could be an edge or an interior defender. So, Well, uh, Greer touched on that today, too, and he said, you know, you don't have to get your pass rush out of your defensive ends. There's other ways to get it. No right. Doubt. No question. Yeah, yeah that, well, you know, New England's a perfect example yep. of that. You know, I mean, they – they get it from so many different places and, you know, maybe that's, you know, his, his frame of mind or his thought process in regard to that. So, yeah, I mean, it does help though, Mike, I will tell you that. No, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. You know, uh, we watched two of the best and Jason Taylor and what uh, Cameron Wake. So no, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, good coverage in the secondary makes your, makes your pass rush look better too. Just a little bit better. Yep. Just, just a, just a wee little bit. Just a wee little bit. I mean, you know, just to touch on it, you know, a little bit more, Mike. In regard to the secondary, you know, I'd like them to go elsewhere. You know, like you talked about up front, you know, is 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 a lot more important on this team, especially if you know, if you're trying to establish, you know, a foundation. I mean, you know, that's that's the way every good team is, or every great team is built. You know, they have. A, a strong foundation and then they you know then they build around that you, you you have to get guys across that defensive and offensive line that are gonna that are gonna be able to make plays and be productive and we've been short on that you know even you know you know even when sue was here teams are running all over us and i don't you know i don't quite understand why that was the case but there was definitely issues even when we had some named players here you know, so they've got to get some guys in here that are able to, to to do the job up front, you know, and then we can go from there. So hopefully they go that route. You know, well, most in, people in seem convinced our biggest problem was the wide nine. <laughs> uh, our biggest problem when we had Sue in the middle and Wake on one side and, and other players that were contributing is we what we have for linebackers? Oh, wait, we didn't. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you can't fill every gap. That's the linebacker's job, and they should be able to feed off those double teams that those other guys are collecting, and they just couldn't do it. They were always blocked or out of position, and uh, it was painful. Yeah, no doubt. And, and we revert back to Kiko Alonso, who was part of that defense, right? Yeah, right. yeah, but it, but at least we're not paying him much, right? Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to be paying him one more year, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. A lot can change between now and September. All right, Lou. Yes, sir. You uh, were out and about this weekend. What'd you learn? What I learned, well, you know, my... my Hey, Lou, Lou, can I interrupt you for one second? I want to interject this. Go ahead. Mike and I are very jealous, by the way. So, you know, don't rub it in too hard. (laughs) It was, it was, it was entertaining to say the least. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you went from one extreme in regard to talent, you know, in regard to personalities, I should say. You have guys like Bob Greasy, and then you have guys like Ricky Williams, you know, that you're dealing with. An hour later, it, it was it was interesting to say the least. But um, with that being said, um, you know, going going down there and um, going into the situation, you know, I my my main objective was to get an idea of what Greasy and Strock and some of the other players' thoughts were on Tannehill. 
um, because you know even among Dolphin fans, oh, it's so split. It, it's so split. I mean, it you're either on one end of the you know one end of it or the other, and so anyway. Um, with that being said, so Greasy, uh, when I asked him the question about his thoughts on Tannehill, um, I was shocked because he basically told me that he felt that it was the pieces around him. He said, you know, I think the kid can play. Those were his exact words. He said, I think the kid can play. I think that, you know, there were breakdowns all around him and that had an effect on, you know, his season in general. And, um, you know, those were his thoughts. Now, Strock had a little different uh, perspective on it. Don Strock, um, you know, he, you know, he felt that um, the guy was a phenomenal athlete, but he lacked in a lot of the things that me and you talk about, Mike. You know, the leadership qualities, um, being able to convert, you know, uh, you know, situations that were convertible. You know, we, you know, we watched him over and over again on third and shorts. Just not being able to, um, you execute. know, execute in those situations, and they walk off the field. And you know, I told him, I said, the thing that bugged me the most about him was the fact that he never seemed upset about the fact that they weren't converting in those situations. You know, he walked off the field, and you never saw any type of um, emotion one way or another. Um, you know, and he kind of laughed about that. You know, he says, yeah, I totally get what you're talking about. So, you know, with that. And, and Strzok was an emotional player. I mean, we have many pictures of him jumping up in the air and, you know, just uh, he was a pretty emotional guy. So I, I could see that. I could see him making that observation. Absolutely. And, of course, being around Marino himself, Strzok, you know, you know, we all know how he was, you know, in regard to, you know, not getting the job done. I mean, the guy was furious every time he came off the field. So, you know, I mean, it was interesting to hear what they had to say. You know, like I said, I was very surprised by what Greasy, you know, um, said. You know, A.J. Dewey and some of the other guys, uh, you know, kind of, of course, you know, because of the position he played, reverted to the defense. He said, listen, he goes, you know, uh, the defense was absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, I don't understand, you know, what type what type of uh, play calling. But he said the same thing that me and you talk about as well, Mike, in regard to, um, you know, the game plan going in. You know, it, yep. it always seems like they had the same type of thought process regardless of what team they were going against and what type of offense they were going against. So, you know. That's, you know, that's a little bit, you know, and then we talked about a few other things. You know, Ricky Williams was was in the completely different subjects. He didn't really want to talk about football much. <laughs> I wonder what he might have been talking about. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not going to go there on this podcast. That would be um that would be a whole other So you spoke to, to Howard. People will be interested in what he had to say. Well, yeah, Xavier, you know, said that, you know, he definitely wants to be here. He goes, you know, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a situation where, you know, it's out of his hands, basically. I mean, he's obviously going to, you know, going to make the final decision, but it's it basically in his, what he was trying to tell me was that if, if they're willing to give him what he feels he deserves, you know, this is his first choice. He wants to definitely stay here, you know, and I kind of was happy to hear that because the team, 
and the position that we're in, you know, we're a couple of years away from from truly competing. You know, for him to say something like that, you know, I was happy to hear it, plain and simple, because, you know, if I was in his position, you know, and, and you know, the NFL career being as short as it is, you know, I, you know, I'd be thinking about going to a, you know, a, a team that could compete and maybe, you know, get myself to a Super Bowl. So, you know, I was a little surprised to hear him say that, but, you know, that's what he said, you know, and if he was being truthful, then, you know, that's his, you know, that's, that's what he wants to do. You know, this is going to be his first choice just as long as he, you know, he gets, you know, he gets the money he feels he deserves. So well, you put your roots down, you make friends and it's not easy just to pick up and go. So mm-hmm. I can understand it being his first choice, you know, it's his home. Right. Yeah. The the thing that gets me with these guys is they say it's, it's not, it's out of their hands. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a that's a load of bull because it's it's up to you always. But uh, you know these guys are just driven by that contract number, and if they get the numbers they want, then sure, you stay home where where it's it's familiar and you know what's going on. Uh, but it remains to be seen. And uh, we talked about Greedy Williams in the draft, and uh, you know if if you can't sign Xavier Howard, we're going to need a lot of help in the secondary. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, that changes things completely. I mean, yeah. you know, and, you know, my my thought is this, Jim, you know, is, you know, you've got you've got a couple of guys here that you can go forward with. And Xavier is one of them. And you have to pay him. I mean, you know, I I don't think they should go above and beyond. But, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the top corners in the league are getting paid, then he deserves it. You know, you have to have guys like him. Otherwise, we're treading water. You know, we're, we're going to take a step backwards. Like you said, we're going to wind up having to take somebody to replace him because our secondary goes from maybe being an above-average secondary to a very below-average secondary. Right, so, and you, ju- you just did that with James. Do you want to take another step back? Exactly. I mean, you know, the same goes with Tunsil. You know, we can go, we could talk about him a little bit. You know, those two guys have got to be, you know, players that are here because they're young enough and they're they're pretty much, I mean, Xavier, as far as I'm concerned, and Tunsil are both going into their prime. You know, if you sign them, you're going to get three, four solid, solid years out of both of them bearing injury. You know, and, um, you know, those guys will be around in a couple of years when and be very productive when we start competing. You know, so those are guys that have to, you know, somehow, some kind of way, they've got to give them the money that they want or, you know, at least close to it and keep them here. You know, that that's my thought on it. Agreed. We need to we need to keep some semblance of some talent across the roster. We've already purged quite a bit. And uh you know, cornerbacks don't grow on trees, and and neither do premier left tackles. So you got to keep some of the team going. Well, their mindset could be they don't need a premier left tackle if they have the right quarterback. You know, uh, it's it's an iffy thing. Uh, it's just going to depend on what it is that's it's going to take to keep him. I'm almost scared to see. Exactly. Yeah. If Juwan James can get what he like seventeen million, or he's the highest paid. No, fifteen million, I think. Excuse me, I'm wrong. It was 13 million per year, uh, but that made him the highest-paid right tackle. And the left right. left tackles are obviously more valuable. So, 
it's going to be a big number if we're going to sign Laramie Tunzel, and, and he knows it's coming, so he's not going to give us any team-friendly deal. He's going to want what he wants. Yep. Uh, no doubt. No doubt about it. So uh, you're, prob- you're probably talking somewhere in the neighborhood of $17 million, I'm guessing. Yeah, and, and for multiple years. Yep. You know, and it and it's it's kind of hard, you know, with 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 the people we have up top there to gauge exactly. Uh, basically, you know, Belichick's a special guy. So with the way New England handles things, you know, uh, it's a little bit different. You know, with 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 the people that are up top and are, you know, with us. I mean, it. You know, we almost have to. Uh, I believe lock these guys down and and go from there. You know, you can't we, we can't follow what New England does. I think we have to, you know, get some type of foundation like I talked about earlier and then go from there, you know. So we'll see. We'll see what these guys do up top and um, you know, hopefully, you know, they keep some of these players around without moving on over and over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to do it. Uh, you know, there, there's a case to be made for what Belichick does. Uh, but are we in, you know, we don't have the same luxuries that Belichick has. We don't have uh, Brady at quarterback and uh, some of the other talent that he has. So we need to start somewhere. And uh, it may be paying these guys a little more than you probably should is the way to start. Then again, maybe it's not. We'll We'll see how they feel. Mm-hmm. The other thing with the Patriots is is they've been winning for 15 years or something. So players players are happy to go to the Patriots because they know they got a good chance of going somewhere in the playoffs. And agreed. So you know it's a lot easier for the Patriots to sign a guy to participate with that team mantra. Uh, you know, granted the top shelf guys are going to go for the money no matter what that, you know, they, they didn't sign a lot of their guys, you know, when they had those big contracts coming, but they have the ability to move on and plug somebody else in. And it's, they have a system in place. We're, we're, we're trying to build a system. So we're not going to be able to make all those moves and have as much success because we just don't have the, the foundation built yet. Agreed. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you 110%, Jim. I mean, they have, you know, New England has the ability to do just what you said. You know, we, you know, what kind of message are we sending guys around the end? I mean, who would want to come here if we let some of our key, key players just walk away and not pay them? I mean, how are we going to get the type of free agents that we want? You know, you've got to somehow you know, form that foundation and then, you know, build from there. And, you know, the two guys we've talked about, you know, during the, during the whole podcast here are, you know, Juwan James and, I mean, not Juwan James, Tunsil and um, Xavier and Howard, you know, are, are keys, you know, going forward. You know, again, we'll, you know, we'll see what they decide to do. I, I just hope that they, you know, that they keep them around. And what about Baker? How do you feel about him? Okay, so Baker, you know, showed a lot of potential last year in my eyes. You know, I've, I, I felt that he's got the ability to be a player on a defense that needs more players. You know, you, you know you're not going to get, you know, Lawrence Taylor type of play out of the guy, but I think he's, he's a very, very solid player. You know, McMillan, you know, I'm a little bit 
more cautious, you know, in regard to going forward with him. But then again, he could excel with guys around him, you know, guys up front, you know, he could get better. But I think Baker's a guy that, you know, I think sticks, you know, on this team. And there's a few guys across the defensive line um, that I feel are pretty solid. Um, Harris, you know, I, you know, I'm a little concerned with him. He hasn't really shown me much up to this point. He hasn't shown uh, anybody anything. Right. Um, you know, and again, you know, it, it, it's another number one pick that, to me, we failed on. What is this, going to be his third season coming up? It, yes. Yeah. It's third season. You know, let's, let's hope that maybe, you know, with a new defensive scheme, you know, he becomes a better player. Um, you know, this no, is a, it's a if big they go to a three-four and they put him an outside linebacker. Maybe that's his. Maybe that's his answer. Exactly right. That's where I was going with that, Mike. So we'll see. I mean, this is a big year for, like you said, Mike. Guys like um, you know uh, Baker, more so, more so McMillan and Harris, because they're they're now both of them are now going into their third year. I know McMillan lost the season, but. Um, I you did know. think he progressed as the season went on. I don't think he was uh, above average at any point, but I do think he went from being pretty bad and pretty slow to serviceable. Right. Yeah, well, his footwork seemed pretty slow, especially in the first part of the season, but I think a lot of that was his confidence. That was a pretty big blow to him to go from, you know, being your, you know, going to the NFL and playing in the big show to being out for a year. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's hard to come back from when you, when you have a, a year ending, you know, injury like that. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, if he gets a chip back on his shoulder and, and becomes the guy he was in college, you know, he could step up and play a big role there in the middle of the defense. All right. Anything else you guys want to add tonight? Uh, well, I mean, you know, did we talk about the draft at all, Mike? Well, we talked about what other people thought of the draft. Uh, we've got a few weeks before we have to talk about the draft. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in regard to the quarterbacks that are up there, I mean, you guys tell me, is there anybody that you guys feel, if they're there on the board at 13, that we should take? You know, I can make a case for any of them, and I can tell you why I wouldn't want any of them. <laughs> okay. So you're in between on it. Yes. What about you, Jim? I'm not sold on any of them myself. Uh, When I watch a quarterback, I I can't always tell you exactly why I I think he's the guy. Uh, We talk about that it factor. And, you know, Kyler Murray's got a lot of of that going on. But, you know, there's only so much you can do when your legs are 60% of your game. That That tends to shorten your career as a quarterback. If I'm picking a guy 13, it wants to be somebody that doesn't depend on those legs quite as much. You know, he's not as tall as I'd like. He's not as, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is, you know, a few months ago, none of these quarterbacks were exciting guys. And and everybody was already talking about the 2020 guys, Fromm and the other guys. So there's three or four coming out in 2020 that are, everybody agrees, are better talents. So why in the last two months is everybody winding up about these guys coming out now? I, you know, if they weren't that great four months ago, why are they so great now? So 
Because teams need quarterbacks, that's why. Well, I get it, but looking at it from the Dolphins' standpoint, if I'm if I'm the the general manager, I I'm not picking anybody this year. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, I, I'm not going to say I'm not picking anybody, but I don't think I'm using a first round pick on a quarterback I, for various reasons. We've talked about most of them. Uh, I just think I'd rather wait. I'd rather take a guy I really have strong conviction about and. Uh, I'd rather do that after I've got an offensive line than before. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, <laughs> I, I would love to see some teams that draft in front of us take some of these quarterbacks because like Jim stated, uh, you know, I don't know where these guys have come from in regard to the draft, how they went from being – you know, average Joes to all of a sudden, you know, being guys that, you know, teams are considering. And if that's the case, you know, if two or three of these teams take a quarterback that are drafting in front of us, then I'll be happy because I don't like any of them. Like you said (laughs) as well, Jim, I, I don't like any of them. I really don't. For one reason or another, none of them, I, you know, I, I don't feel any of them are going to be, you know, worth that pick at number 13. Now, like you said, Mike, if they drop down into the second round and they're there, then you know what? You roll the dice maybe. But at that number 13, you know, because of our history, and I mean, it's been, you know, how many number one picks have we really hit on over the last 20 years? I mean, what are we about? What are we at? Maybe 30%. You know, as far as guys that actually became solid, solid players in the NFL, I think I don't know. I think that's a stretch. It's more like ten or twenty percent. I think. Yeah, I mean, you you might be right, Jim. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the last twenty years, but you know, you may very well be right. But the point is, is that you know, going into this draft, none of those guys are guys that I feel um, at number thirteen. You know, there's no way we should take. Any of these guys at number 13, you know, we have to go in a different direction. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll concern ourselves with a quarterback, you know, in 2020, like you said. So we'll see what happens. You mentioned you mentioned talking about where these quarterbacks are, are supposed to go in the draft. And most of the mocks got Kyler Murray going number one overall to, right. to the Cardinals. Yeah, uh, and then they've got several of them. Got Drew Locke going to the Giants. Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins to the Giants. Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins going to the Broncos at ten. Uh, so those three quarterbacks are, you know, and then of course, you know, they got Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke going to us at thirteen and a few. So right. there's several teams out there that that need a quarterback. You know, Arizona's got a good shot. You know, what do the Raiders do? They could they could pick another quarterback. So, you know, New York needs a quarterback. So, you know, realistically the Broncos need a quarterback. You know, I mean they signed Flacco, but he's he's right. he's Joe Flacco, you know. So and he's short term, much like Fitzpatrick is here. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not right. a guy they're going to bank on right, right. going forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know that that listen that benefits us. If if three quarterbacks are gone by the time we picked, then we're getting talent at another position. And I would 
I, I would love to see that happen because, man, you're, t- you're taking three picks off the board. So now basically you've got a situation where what? Where, what are we at? 13. So yep. we've got like nine, nine players in front of us. I mean, so we're getting the 10th best player in the draft at any other position other than quarterback, and that'd make me an extremely happy camper. You know, I'm I'm good for that. I'd love to see that happen. Yep, because then you're Ed Oliver's or, you know, one of these guys is going to slip down. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's how we got Fitzpatrick last year. Yep. Right, exactly. And that guy's a player. You know, we, we need – we need playmakers, you know. We need people that across the lines that can move people around, you know. I I just hope that's the case because I think all these guys are a reach at thirteen. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's we'll there's see. there's several mocks out there that got us picking a quarterback, uh, and then Ed Oliver or another one of the D linemen is going number fourteen right after us, and I'm thinking about man, do these guys even research the Dolphins? And uh, <laughs> it's just I don't know. I I just I'd I'd like to see all those quarterbacks be off the board early, and then uh, we'll have a better selection at a top talent. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, to me, it's it's virtually impossible to do a mock draft with any accuracy. First of all, you have trades that happen. You have uh, players that drop for no apparent reason. And, you know, there's just so much involved that you have no way of knowing beforehand. So taking the time to do a real mock draft to me is a waste of time. But people love doing them. So and uh, uh, based on the page, people love reading them, too, or at least arguing about them. Yeah, I mean, it gives it gives us something to do in the off season, and um, you know, <laughs> a lot of people are getting paid, you know, to uh, to put those mock drafts together. I yeah. mean, this this thing's become so humongous, you know. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, how many? I mean, Jim, when you were doing the research today, I mean, how many mock drafts did you did you look into? You know, uh, how many different were there? Uh, realistically, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many they actually were because <laughs> they've been doing mock drafts. They've been doing these mock drafts for, for months. And, you know, I, I just want to know, did you pay for Kuipers? Oh man, no, no, I didn't. I tried to get in through the back door and I did steal a few here and there. Uh, but you know, some of the, and these, these mock drafts that I've, you know, we're talking about, uh, Bucky Brooks and, and, Lance Zerline and Peter Schrager and guys that are in the know, uh, but it's all personal preference, and you apply apply your personal preference to right. to each team, and you think, well, if I'm the if I'm the GM, I'm going to do this, and so everyone is all conjecture, and it's it's biased. You know, I read a bunch of uh, reviews on uh, you know guys coming out, and you'd have four or five reviews on one player. And one guy would think he was the next coming of the, of Christ, you know. And the next guy said, "Oh, he's not even going to go in the first round." Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it's like, "Come on, are we talking about the same player here?" But uh, you know, it, it's all it's all conjecture, you know. That's what I was telling people on the page. You know, don't read one scouting report and think you know anything about a player because. It, <laughs> You don't know who wrote that scouting report and how qualified they are to write it, you know? So watch film, make your own determinations, and then read a bunch of scouting reports and see if what the scouting reports are saying agree with what you saw. Right. That's that's the best way to do it. Exactly. And, I mean, you you know, you look at guys on our team, you know, 
um, you know, Drake and Grant. You know, those two guys are both playmakers. Uh, what did Grant have? Touchdowns four different ways last year? I mean, kick, punt. Uh, did he run? Did did he run one in, Mike? I don't think so. I he don't didn't. remember. I don't think so. The short well, the short pass was basically a run, but you know, yeah, yeah basically an extended handoff. I mean, the the guy's a player. But he's explosive, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, and I mean, these are guys that we got in later rounds, and and we really, really have to hit, you know, all the way across the board um, in this draft and and next year's draft. I mean, we have to get guys like that that are going to come in. And, and be playmakers. You know, we we can't we can't keep missing on these draft picks. So I I've always been one that you take the best available player, period. You know, so I mean they they know what direction they got to go in, and you know I I just hope that they make smart decisions and and get guys that are going to be productive and you know just give us you know, a, a couple of nice, nice seasons of, of, of playmaking. You know, Grant, you know, is a guy, and Drake, both of them, I, I felt that they were both underused last year. You know, I know Grant is, is a little small, and, you know, I don't know if he can take the pounding, but, um, you know, you use him in a way where he doesn't necessarily have to take that pounding, and, you know, you, 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 know you, you get more out of them. I mean, those guys were both underused. I mean, my, uh, Jim, me and Mike talked about it over the year. I mean, what were your thoughts on, you know, how Gase used Drake over the course of, the, over the course of last season? Uh, Kenyon Drake kind of underachieved to me. Right. And I, I wasn't happy with most all of Gase's basic scripts for his game plans on offense. He was dependent on short stuff, and we've had this discussion that you're limited by the quarterback and what he can do and the offensive line, blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of tired of talking about that, but I I wasn't happy about those plays that he called. He didn't seem to utilize Drake in the passing game very much, but, you know, he wasn't overly productive when he got his chances. So, you know, that goes towards not getting the ball as much. Right. So other guys were making plays when they had opportunities. So that's how it goes. When you're making plays, you get fed the ball. So if you're not making plays, well, your your snaps go down. I gotcha. He was feast or famine. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's funny is, though, if you if you look at it, Mike, um, and Jim, you know, he had how many touchdowns last year? You know, eight, somewhere, well, Something somewhere like that, somewhere between eight and 10 touchdowns. And, you know, I felt that he was underused, you know, that, that he needed more opportunities. I mean, when you saw him in, in the passing game involved, he had some very, very good games and, you know, nothing against Balage and nothing against Frank Gore. But they're not the double threat that he is. I mean, just if you're defending the Dolphins and you've got Drake in the backfield, you know, he's a major concern to you, whether you're handing the ball off to him or you've got him going in motion and putting him in the slot or throwing, you know, a bubble screen, to whatever the case may be. You know, when, when you've got a Frank Gore or Balage on the field, you know, you're you're looking at it in a whole different way. I know if I'm on the other side of the football and I'm defending the Dolphins, I'm happy that Drake is sitting on the sideline. And he did a lot of that last year. And, you know, going forward, you know, I think he's one of our best players. 
I think that he has to be on the field and he has to be more involved. And I don't know what the problem was last year. And, you know, you might be right, Jim. Maybe he just wasn't being productive in practice. And then when he was put on the field, it was, you know, it was a reflection of that. I don't know. But, you know, in my opinion, you know, I feel that he's a guy that, you know, if this team is going to be successful going forward on offense, he's a guy that's got to be involved more because he, he's just exceptional in so many ways. He's got great speed. He's got great hands. You know, he's a guy that can – you can line him up wide and he can go – you know, he, he can do a fly pattern down the sideline. 40, 50 yards down the field, you could throw the ball to him. Well, look, we know so, it had to be Drake because it's really tough to get in Gase's doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Right. Yeah. So – all right, so I, I, I do want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast this evening. You guys, thanks for uh, doing it with me. Pleasure, pleasure. It was great working with you guys. Enjoy. And uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Jim, you got anything you want to add? Well, I just want to have everybody check us out over there at the Facebook group, Miami Dolphins number one. That's Miami Dolphins hashtag number one. Uh, that's where this podcast originated from, and uh, we have a lot of fun talking Dolphins football 24-7 over there. So look us up and uh, join us up over there. If you are listening to the podcast, please uh, subscribe to it, uh, like it, comment on it. And uh, Lou, thanks for uh, joining us. You did all right for a rookie. Oh, my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. And like I said, it was great working with you guys. I had a lot of fun. All right. I just want to give everybody a big fins up. Fins up. Fins up. (laughs) See you next week, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.